this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our part-time mastermind talks about mentorship. I have a great guest, Lynn Cola Sullivan Verstead, and she is the first African-American to place runner-up in the Miss America pageant. She's also a vocalist who has been able to sing with Stevie Wonder, the legendary Stevie Wonder and Cool and the Gang, as well as Lionel Hampton and his orchestra. She's also been a news anchor across America. Today, she is with Royal Dutch Shell Oil Company as a corporate executive, trainer, speaker, and she also is a corporate trainer and speaker in her own right, taking her story and talking about mentorship. This is a great interview. She talks about not only her beauty pageant past, but the importance of mentors, people she's been able to meet along the way and be inspired by. This awesome interview with Lynn Cola and I are coming at you right now. Well, I'd like to welcome you to the show. And because you come from a, a beauty background, you kind of started in your career in that area where people would actually know you. Let our listeners know who you are, where you're from, and what you do. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. <laughs> That's a very loaded question. My name is Lincoln Sullivan, and that strange last name comes from being married to a Dutchman, so I can tell you about a little bit more about that later. Uh, but I am from the state of Arkansas, and I'm the oldest of five children. And uh, my the, the pageant industry started... For me, very young, to be honest with you, I, re- I remember actually being about five or six years old and really being very uh, very curious about pageants. And I'm not sure where that all came from, but I remember being a little girl and I remember watching pageants, Miss America specifically, which came on very late in Arkansas because, of course, the East Coast was a little bit ahead of us, but I remember it for me as a child, it was kind of late, but my parents allowed me to stay up and watch the pageant, and I would sit there on the floor looking at my black and white television at the time, some of you listeners probably don't even know what that is, but sitting there watching the black and white television and just dreaming, literally dreaming and imagining that I was on that stage, because I was so like... The talent part of the competition really, like, was very interesting to me. And then I loved the evening gown competition as well. So I kind of visualized myself being there and being on that stage. But what was interesting as a little child, what I did not recognize at that time, was that nobody looked like me. Mm-hmm. Nobody looked like me. But still, me and my idealistic world... I still imagined that I was on that stage. I still imagined. So it started very young and innocent for me, and then it turned into something quite different once I heard a story that my mother told me, being the oldest of 11 children, and her parents were very, very, very much for education because they were not educated. They did not have the opportunity to get an education, but educating their 11 children was extremely important to them. So my mother being the oldest, then her siblings are actually picking cotton, chopping beans, and doing other things like that to help to put her through college. My mom had two dresses. She washed them every day and, you know, a pair of shoes. I mean, it's, 
Yeah, I was really struggling. So after hearing that story, I was so moved by it that I decided as a, I think I was about nine or ten years old, I decided then that I was going to pay for my own college education. So I wouldn't put my parents through that. I would pay for my own college education. And But I, at that moment, of course, I didn't know how I would do that. And then I decided, I, I decided... I, I'm sorry, what now? I have a question. Sure. You said sure. at about 19 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. In that time of your growing up, um, beauty images for African American and black women are coming to the forefront. We're seeing uh, black women on television. We're seeing them in different roles. We're seeing them in black publications that we just don't have anymore. Uh, we're seeing also, as you mentioned, nobody on those pageants look like you. I wanted to ask you, and I, I know our, our uh, listeners are going to ask me this question, who was the actual first black woman that you saw on a beauty pageant? I think that was probably in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I was probably I in the 70s. Uh, I think her name is Diane. I can't remember her name. Uh, I think she was from Iowa. Um, she was the first one. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm asking one. this question is because um, many people aren't going to um, and are to an interesting point if they are history buffs know that mm-hmm. images for black women were changing during your childhood whether they be on mm-hmm. television, on the newspaper, in pageants. Um, people were seeing different types of images of black women during that time, more so than, you know, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, 20 years later. So if you're talking about the 70s, uh, you're, you're, we're dealing with black beauty in a different way. So you, yeah. said you first saw a black woman who was a contestant in the 70s. Yeah, she was in 1970. She was Miss Iowa. Her name was Cheryl Brown. She was Miss Iowa. She was okay. a dancer. So she was the first one. So there was only, if there was a black woman in there, actually, and there were a few in between, uh, but not very many. She was the very first, and that was in 1970. Uh, so that was when I was a little bit older. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. When I was young, in the 60s, uh, then, then there was nobody. So there wasn't right. anybody that I saw until the 70s, and that was a few years before I graduated from high school. So it was a long time for me to see somebody black in the pageant, okay? It was not recent. And then if there was, there was only one, and that was my personal experience as well. There was every single pageant that I ever entered, I was the only one or one of two in every single pageant I ever entry and so I was yeah I, I this is kind of a, an interesting story because my mother um, my mother actually when I entered Miss America well Miss Arkansas I won my first passion was representing my hometown I was the only black person there the first one to a person of color to ever win in my hometown I won and, and went to Miss Arkansas and when I went to Miss Arkansas, there were so many people saying, oh, I'm coming to see you Saturday night. Well, if you don't make top ten, 
then no one's going to see you but just say your name. And there were 48 contestants, so it was almost like competing in Miss America in my home state of Arkansas. And out of those 48 contestants, I made a decision. I said, I have to be in the top 10 because if I have all these people come to see me Saturday night. So my goal was not to win the pageant my very first time. That was not my goal. My goal was only to make top 10. And I'm very happy that I was able to make top 10. So I made top 10. But the the most important thing for me was that I earned scholarship money. And that's when I made a decision. I said, oh, now this is something else. I didn't even win. I won scholarship money. When is the next pageant? So then I went out seeking because the first pageant I ever entered, it wasn't because I wanted, because I thought to do it. It's because I was working at Walmart and somebody came up to me and said, hey, we're having this Morgan pageant. Would you like to enter? I thought I was so honored that they asked me that I said, sure. <laughs> and then I ended up winning. So that was not in my blood. I had no idea. I was just thinking about going to college. And then I figured out this is the way I can pay for my college education. And so my next project to win was Miss University of Central Arkansas, which I represent my Arkansas. I, I don't, I think there have been a couple after me, but none before me either. I was the first black woman to win every single pageant I won. And thankfully, I was blessed to every single pageant I entered, I won. <laughs> and then when I went to Miss Arkansas, I was always in top ten. So for me, that's almost like, for me, that was almost like winning. And I think that with anything in life, you need to know your why. Like, why are you doing this? My why was very strong. I wanted to pay for my college education myself. And I made that decision as a child, but I didn't have a clue as to how I was going to do that. And then Miss America came into my life, Miss America pageant came into my life, and then I thought, this is the way. I made a decision, this is the way I'm going to pay for my college education. So it's about knowing your why. And I remember that and my last pageant I was going to enter, I actually won a year ahead of time. Sometimes you win them at different times. And it just so happened that I won the Miss White River pageant, was representing a section of Arkansas where there are very few black people. Like, there are, like, I think there were two black people at the pageant. And I asked my family not to come. I said, oh, no, that's okay. Don't even I was, didn't even think I was going to win. I ended up winning. <laughs> but there were only maybe two black people in the audience because there were no black people in that area. Still not very many to this day in that section of the state. And I won. And I remember that by the time the pageant was to come, Miss Arkansas was to be held the next year, I'd already got a job doing what I wanted to do, working in television. I, was, I have a speech, a, a degree in speech and theater arts with emphasis in broadcasting, and I got hired at a television station. And and I was trying to figure out, why do I need to win this pageant? I'm doing what I wanted to do. And um, But then it's not fair to the pageant, of course. So I thought, I need a strong reason why. Again, mm. a reason why. And I thought... And, and working in television, I got to, I was watching all of the television stations at one time. I will never forget watching uh, the news with Tom Brokaw. And there was a man by, I don't remember his name, but the movie Brubaker was actually uh, starring Robert Redford. It was about him. And this man was on national television talking very, very, very negatively about the state 
of Arkansas. And it really made me angry because he was on a national platform talking negatively about my state. And it made me so angry that I said, I always do this with everything that I'm bothered by. I looked in the mirror and I said, well, what can I do to change that? And at that moment was when I made a decision. I said, ah, I know. I'm competing in Miss Arkansas next month. If I were to win that title, then I could refute everything he's saying about the state of Arkansas. So that's what gave me my why. And I remember going into that pageant because interview is the most important phase of any Miss America pageant organization uh, competition. And I remember going in there and going, I need them. I need the judges. I want the judges to know why I want to win. I want them to know why. And, of course, that was the one question they, they didn't ask me. I thought, oh, for goodness sake. But Bill Wolf, I'll never forget this, Bill Wolf from Florida, one of the judges asked me, said, Nicola, our interview is not over. Thank you very much. Is there anything you want to tell us before you go? I said, yes, there is. I said, when you think of Arkansas, you think three things. You think hillbillies. You think... Uh, Central High School, 1957, or you think Arkansas Razorbacks? I said, if I were to win this project, not only would it help our chances to realize that we've come a long way, that we've come a long way since 1957 when black children were not even allowed in school. That happened to be telling my age now, I realize, but that was the year I was born. When nine black children were not even allowed to integrate a high school, central high school, and we're known for that. Arkansas, for people who know a little bit about our history, which is not always so good, that was the one thing that, you know, if Hillbillies, Arkansas, Razorbacks, or Central High School, 1957, I said, if I were to win this passion, not only will, you know, Arkansas, but the world would get to see that we've come a long way since 1957. And I meant that from the depths of my heart because I wanted to make a difference for my state. I wanted to cast a good light on my state. And if your viewers or your listeners understand anything about people of color, you know for yourself from watching what is going on in the world even today that we are not judged as individuals, but we're judged collectively. So I knew even then at that young age of being 18, 19, 20, that what I did was not just a reflection on Nicola Sullivan. It's a reflection on black women and black people as a whole. And I want, and I still want, and that's still my desire, and I still work in different ways to make that happen, to make different, to make a difference to make it so that people, when they look at us, they see positive as well. They see goodness as well because we are not, because what we do reflects on everybody. So if I do something crazy, it doesn't just reflect on me. It reflects on you too. It reflects on every other person of color. We see how people lump everyone together, even now with Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter. You, t you just lump everybody together. So it is, for me, it's about what is the bigger picture and what difference can I make in this world, and I do that on my job as well. Now, you mentioned um, how we are seeing collectively um, in your time there with the pageant 
um, we're basically getting an elementary look at black women in pageants. You said that the first person you saw in a pageant was probably nine years before you. Um, we had a couple black uh, Miss USA's and Miss World, but we're talking about less than a handful of women, possibly. So mm-hmm. the images are changing uh, on, on what a black woman is supposed to be. It used to be we were just the maid or just the caretaker. But in your lifetime, too, we're seeing not only images in media, we're seeing the first black um, women new as anchors. We're, we're seeing um, women in roles, leading roles on television. Um, but the pivotal thing is that you were there in the 80s, right before there actually was a, a yeah. beauty contender winner, and things have yeah. changed radically. <laughs> um, what are some of the highlights you remember in just trying to qualify for these pageants back then? Oh, I remember very well because uh, being the only one person of color, what I do understand and recognize very well is what my parents taught me from a very young age. They always taught me, they said, life is not fair. They taught all of us this, but life is not fair. You will always need to be twice as good. And that is also reflected in the past because if it were not clear, and I mean 100% clear, that I was the true winner, then I would not have won. Because you have to, it has to be obvious to everyone almost. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Because it can't be right. like, oh, well, well. No, it can't, it can't be that way. You must be, you must be better than almost. I mean, but I was always taught, and I, I still have that mindset, that I always have to be twice as good. That's just the way I go through life. It's just understanding that you have to be twice as good because life is not fair. So mm-hmm. when when I when I did get to Miss America, then I noticed several things. First of all, almost every question was asked to me. Once well, we made history again, because I was the first woman, uh, black woman ever, that one that came from the South. So I was Miss Arkansas. It was the first time a black woman had ever won from the South. It had been always northern states. If there was a black woman, it was always from another from a northern state, not a southern state. So that was a huge, huge um, turn in history for the pageant as a whole. So I mean, um, so that was very, very interesting. And what also happened that year was Miss Washington from the state of Washington, Doris Hayes, who was also black, was also interesting for that year as well in 1980 was that we were black women who were both also considered dark-skinned black women. Now, that had never been done before either because that, you know, so this was like history, 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 and, and I understood like years later then people would say, you know, they called us icebreakers because we broke so much ice that year. It's not even funny because Doris and I were the first two Two, two black women, dark-skinned women, and at the same time. There had never been two black women in the pageant at the same time, ever. So that we were like a total novelty. But the bad, not the bad thing, but what was interesting was the press, every time they asked you a question, it had to do with, with race. It had to do with color. I can understand because we're two black women entering this, you know, in a pageant where in the 1920s we were not even allowed to enter the pageant. So I can understand some of that. 
but I will never forget some questions like, what do you think your chances are against Miss Washington? I'll say, um, there are uh, 48 other women in this pageant, not just Miss Washington. You know, it's like putting them in their place in a nice way because you want them to write about you in their newspaper, so you have to be very diplomatic with your answers. And I remember my my chaperone at the time, who happened to be white, was just like, if you can't ask for any, any intelligent questions, just stop this. And I said, ho, 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 let me just go ahead and answer this question, you know, because I wanted them to cover me. But she was just so, like, you know, it even infuriated her that it was all about race. It was not about me as a contestant. It was not me as a person. It was about me and my color. And and you see that happening even today. So nothing has really changed. It's still that way. So even, and, and we broke boundaries by being the first two. Then we broke boundaries by, we both won preliminaries, ironically, on the same night. I won swimsuit preliminary. She won talent preliminary. Tied with the woman who eventually became Miss America. Then again, we made history again on that Saturday night when both of us made the top ten. It never happened before ever in the history of the pageant. So it was the first year, and there are articles to prove what I'm saying, it was the first year that it was actually seen that, oh my goodness, a black woman could actually be Miss America. That was the first time it even became a part of consciousness that it was possible. So I am blessed that my, what I did in the past, was just to open the door for others. And when I met Vanessa Williams for the first time, she said to me, thank you. Thank you for opening the door for me. Because without that opening, she would not, she could not so easily enter either. So at least that, that ice was broken. So I get, yeah, I, I really do. I get notes from former Miss Americas, even to this day, saying, Thank you for what you did for us to help it to make it a little bit easier for us. There had to be the Jesse Jackson and the Shirley Chisholm's and all of that for the Barack Obama to be able to be considered to be president of the United States. These things still happen. And so we're still making history to this day in so many ways, in so many ways. And, you know, ideally in an ideal world, we won't be based on, it won't be based on the color of our skin. It will just be based on our contributions of which we can make to our world and to our society. You mentioned that your mom was an educator. And mm-hmm. because of what you just mentioned early in this interview, um, your, your mom, you know, people having to work for her to get to college, um, only having a couple dresses. And when you hear those types of uh, stories growing up, I know it has to have not only a profound effect on you know, your your walk, but it's history. History. And I wanted to ask this question because it's timely in these days. Don't you believe that we are cherishing and remembering not just the type of history you're talking about, but just histories in general? Because when you mention the Shirley Chisholm's and the Jesse Jackson's, people forget that. Really forget that, but if they're in the majority, you're hearing about Thomas Jefferson, you're hearing about Abraham Lincoln, you're hearing about George Washington, even now, but within um, the people that look like us, we don't, I believe, cherish the open doors uh, of the people who, you know, were just there. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing 
an increase in crime, an increase in a lot of things that shouldn't be uh, when it comes to people of color like us. Mm -hmm. I do agree that we don't know our own history. We don't, and that's why we don't know our own power. And that's why I'm very uh, happy to see what's happening in the world today because we don't recognize and we, we really don't. So we don't know who came before us. We don't know the richness and the, of where we came from. And that, I do feel, is, is quite sad. Um, th because if you don't understand our history, thankfully, because of what's happening, though, and I, I always try to find what silver linings I can for everything that happens in this world today, is thankfully, because of what's happening with the Black Lives Matters movement that is going around in the world, not only in the United States of America, but even here in Europe where I live now as well. It's happening the world over. It's people now wonder, oh my goodness, I did not know. Because some of them don't know because when you have, there is such a thing as white privilege. And when you have it, you don't actually, many people don't know that they have it because they never have any problems with people following them around in schools or stores, or they don't have problems with jobbing in ice car and then you just get pulled over by the police. They don't have these, they don't have these kinds of experiences, so they don't know. So because they don't know, and because of what's recently happened that's been brought to more the forefront in life today, we see more and more people reading from black authors and trying to get a better understanding. I have had people, and I it makes me feel good, actually. I work at the headquarters of Shell in The Hague, in the Netherlands. And uh, when this all started, we did not, they did not hide that either uh, because things happen no matter where you are, no matter what company, corporation, what what neighborhood you live in, what country you live in, someone, some people of color, we have either experienced it for ourselves or know someone who has personally. We know that. And so things like that are brought up at work, and sometimes people have come to me. I've had managers also who have come to me, and they said, oh, in color, we, we feel horrible. Um, you know, is there something that you can recommend that I read? Is there a documentary or a movie or something that, that I can read to enlighten me better so I can be a better manager? I have managers now calling me to ask me, like, what can I, what more can I do? And we have to start that conversation. And it's not an easy conversation, and it's a very uncomfortable. But I can tell you this. I do, I, I'm a certified um, facilitator and instructor at Shell on diversity and inclusion. And... Um, unless in, in all of my presentations and all the, the sessions that I do, I want me to feel uncomfortable. I want that. I want you, when I'm teaching you how to teach others, I want you to feel uncomfortable. Because it's only when we feel uncomfortable do we move. If you were sitting on something, or you know you got a little pebble in your shoe, if you're uncomfortable, you move a different way. You know what I'm saying? If that is the only way to to start something to be in motion, if if you're uncomfortable, you start squirming or you start moving, huh? I want you to be uncomfortable because I want you to move. I want you to make changes, and that is the only way that we're going to see a change in our society today. Is we must open and we must have these uncomfortable situations conversations, 
and we must work together in some kind of way. But it starts with listening. It starts with listening and it starts with respecting. You don't have to agree with me, but just be respectful that we can and we can agree to disagree. But in America, I see that not taking place. It is night and day to have a conversation with European and American sometimes. Because in America, you cannot even talk about certain things or people just cut you off. They don't want to even hear you, hear what you have to say, and they'll just immediately like, you're not even a friend. You can, don't talk about politics or religion. I tell all my friends here, I go, please, if they're American, do not talk to them about politics or religion. You can't even have a conversation about it. There's no openness. There's no. There's not a seeking to understand, and we need to seek to understand. So I. So I watch. I watch uh, programs that I don't agree with because I want to know if it works in this. Oh, this is very well. I read publications that I don't agree with. If we we should seek to understand, so we cannot stay in our own bubble and expect to change. You cannot. That's right possible. We cannot stay there. What do you see and what do you see as as a solution because right now you know, you're talking about the Black Lives Matter, you're talking about, you know, people becoming aware because we we saw almost a nine minute tape of someone losing their life. Um uh, where do you see us going from here? I mean, yes we can do the marches and there's always been marches, but marches, they're symbolic. What do you see, um, and do you believe that this movement will continue, um, not only in dialogue and in theory, but really change some laws? I mean, because that's, that's where it's got to change. The laws have to change not only federally, I would think, in each and every jurisdiction, but uh, state and locally. Mm-hmm. That's what needs I mean, to happen. Right? Yeah. I, what, what, yeah. gets, what, what helps me to feel like this could have better legs and stronger legs to stand on at this point in time is that we're confronted, and we're confronted often. Now, what's uncomfortable and what's ridiculous this time is that it continues to happen. But, and, the, and it's the thing, I think Will Smith said it best when he said, you know, nothing has really changed because it's only getting filmed. So these things have always happened. This is now you know, thanks to technology and the fact that everyone has a cell phone and they don't hesitate to pull it out and to film, that you find out more and more of the things that are happening that need to be changed. So what's good is the fact that it's not only people of color who are marching for these changes. It's other people as well. It's other people trying to stand in solidarity as well. I'm very... uh it makes me feel good to see young people. Um, my my eye doctor's daughter, who is like 20, 21 years old, she's in college, and to see, I think she posts more things on Black Lives Matter than I, for sure she's posted more than I have <laughs> on information. Where to go? This information. This is what I mean. She's really, I mean, and dedicated to really making a change. So it's like having that support also of not just one person or one body of people doing it, but everyone locking arms together really and saying, let's do this. It's for all of us. So it's, it's, it's for racial inequality. It's for gender inequality. It's for economic inequality. 
There are so many things wrapped up in this until you start addressing all of those, then we're not going to get any further. We have to address everything because it's built on the system, and the system is broken. That we see clearly every single day. We see it clearly in full force. So we must work on changing the system, and that begins with all of us. Please, every listener, under the sound of my voice, people die for our right to vote. That is the most important thing that you can do this fall. And you need to vote, as Beyonce I heard and many others I've heard say this in the past, vote as if your life depends on it. Because indeed, more than ever, if you're looking at anything and watching anything that's going on today, if you're aware of anything in the news today, you know for sure that all of our lives depend on you voting. It starts with you. It starts with each individual doing their part. Because we can't change everything, but whatever we can change, we must change. So I can't change everything in the world, but then I can start. I said, I work in this international environment. I work for an international company. What can I do to change? And you know what I did? I made myself the head of GNI in my, in my department. Nobody else stepped up. I said, I'm stepping up. I'm it. I didn't, ask, I didn't wait for somebody to ask me. I stepped up, and we must all step up where we can. So no matter where that is, I stepped up. And then when they were trying to tell me that I couldn't teach because I didn't have the right job title or something, oh, oh no problem. I'm, I'm lecturing in universities already. Oh, oh, really? Oh, please come, 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 come. But I wasn't going to let anything or anyone stop me from doing what I felt was necessary. So no does not get in my way. That's about knowing your why. So I, I challenge everyone to say, what is your why? Where can you start? And maybe it starts with you and your children. Maybe it starts there. So don't look at this thing and go, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have, no, no excuses. Now is not the time. You have children. If you don't have children, you have nieces, nephews, cousins. You have something. You have a neighbor. You can start right there. So I don't want to hear it. Nobody says anything. You don't know where to start. We can all start somewhere. Have conversation. And then work on changing laws. When you, be won, when you won this America uh, contest, the, you know, in that environment, being uh, one of the top contestants in the Miss America, um, what was your next step? And I know I'm going to be asked that question. You, you, you know, when you're a first of things, what opportunities open for you because of that? Oh, I think lots of opportunities open for me. First of all, uh, as I mentioned early on, that the interview phase is the most important phase of competition. If you do not convince them in interview that you are worthy or that you can handle the job, as Miss whatever, whatever your local state or potentially national title might be, then you're not going to win. The, the actual pageant is really one in the interview. If you falter there, you can forget the rest, okay? It's not about how cute you are. That is not about because Miss America is not a beauty pageant. It's a scholarship pageant. So that's number one is the interview. So that was the one thing. That's, that's something that served me even today. So when I have interviews on jobs, 
That's, that's not hard for me. Why? Because I'm used to being on a stage where people are throwing stuff at me live. Well, i got to answer live in front of hundreds of thousands or sometimes millions of people right there, okay? And so having an interview with one or two people doesn't bother me at all. So what you find is you have a better – it's like it's, it's a way of life. It's, it's to prepare you for life. It's really to prepare you for life. In addition to that um, – and the second phase that's most important is your, is your talent. So if you don't have any talent, then that would be the next thing that if you don't have any talent, then you can't win either. So interviewing talent is the most important phase of competition. It opens up a lot of doors for me. Uh, just being Miss Arkansas, that was the best job I think I ever had in my entire life. Uh, because for me, I got paid to be myself mm-hmm. and to represent my state, which I was very proud to do. Lots of people always ask, you know, how do they treat you down there? Because they've heard so many negative things about Arkansas. And I'm very mm-hmm. proud to say that I did not have any any negative, um, uh, there was no negative reactions or I didn't have any negative experiences when I was in Arkansas. Thank God. You know, I don't know. I actually don't know if it would be different today, actually, because of the, 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 the environment in which we live in today seems even worse than it was, you know, 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago in some ways. So it opened up a lot of doors. I, I actually um, became very, very dear friends with Stevie Wonder as a result of that and sang on one of his album projects and, and uh, became more friends to this day. I see him every time he travels here or if he's in the States, I'm, I always go to his concerts or whatever. But we're very dear friends, and so we call each other. He calls me on my birthday and things, you know, uh, happy birthday in his own way. Uh, I became, um, because of being actually Miss University of Central Arkansas, which then I had the opportunity to meet uh, our Attorney General of Arkansas at that time, who was Bill Clinton, who became later governor. So I knew him before he was governor. And then after governor, of course, we all know, he became president, and I had the opportunity of singing at both of his inaugurations, so being a part of history. So it's opened up enormous doors for me to um, meet and to um, to be a part, you know, to, to meet different people in different walks of life that I never would have had the opportunity to meet. And the interview phase just helped me to be a stronger person myself so that I could do interviews like this. You know, otherwise, if you know, if you don't know, you could be, you know, it, it helps you to be a better person, even just the competition itself. Just going through it, even if I hadn't won, could have made me a better person, could have made me a stronger person. So I'm comfortable in my own skin. And communication is key in life. Communication is key. So, um, yeah, my, my station, when I, I happened to be Miss Arkansas when I was working for KRKTV in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was doing the weather there, and believe me, they, they gained a lot from me. They discovered all my appearances. So that was another nice thing as well. So it was pretty well documented what I did around the state, so that actually shines a little bit of more light on the role of Miss Arkansas and what she does and, and the people that you impact. And I will tell you this, the most important things to me are when I get notes even today, from people I met once, long time ago, who write me to connect to me even on Facebook today and say, thank you for what you did for me. And these are not always little black girls. No, these are white 
girls, these are that became white women who are now doctors or lawyers, that are writing me and saying, thank you for that speech you gave because because of you and because of what you said, this is what I did. And I had that just two weeks ago. Somebody emailed me, and I had to look her up. I was like, who is this? And I don't know her. I only met her when she was a child. You know, when she came to a speech where I was speaking at a beta club convention, and she remembered what I said, and she wrote me and said, thank you for what you said. I followed that suggestion. Another little, the girl, when I won Miss White River, which is the section of Arkansas where I said there are no black people, there was a little red-headed white girl there who was standing there looking at me, and I shook hands and took autographs or whatever I had to do with all the other people there, but I took time with her. I took time with her. And so I said, hi. And I spent time with her. I said, you have beautiful red hair. And you're so pretty. And what do you do? And I spent time with her. Do you know that she wrote me and she said, thank you for what you did for me? Because you took time for me. I now take time for others. Because I realized how important that was. That you took time for me, a little girl, where everybody else was all around. And people were pulling at you. And but you still shared time with me. So now that's what I do for other people. I am now a lawyer at the state capitol, and I make time for young people all the time because of what you did for me. Now, I cry when I read these kind of things because this is why I live. I live to make a difference. I live to make an impact. God created each one of us for something special. And I am not going to let my life pass by. I want to make a difference in as many lives as I possibly can. And that platform, that winning the title of Miss Arkansas and being the first black woman to ever become a runner-up before Vanessa in the Miss America pageant organization, that gave me a platform and it helped it to change other people's lives, not only my life, but others' lives, to say, yes, it is possible. And somebody is looking up to you as well, you as well, Sabrina Marie. They're looking up to every single person under the sound of my voice. Somebody is looking up to you as well. And you can make a difference in somebody's life. It's not just me because I had a crown on my head. Yep, that helped. But you too can make a difference, and you can make a difference in someone's life as well. So watch what you do. Watch what you say. Watch how you live in this world today because somebody's watching you. And think about if somebody is doing the same thing I'm doing, is this, is this what I want to create in this world? Is this what I want to be known for in this world? Because the two most important days that I'm sure most of you have heard about is the day you were born and the day you find out why. This is only part one of my interview with Rincola. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with part two. Listen up.